0: I mean, He's been putting in work for so long Putting
1: a lot of work What's going on guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 45 I'm John Peck Thanks to those out there checking out my new merch We've got a whole lot of Putting in Work t-shirts Including some NBA themed ones for the Hoops fans out there There's NBA 2K, Lakers and Bulls themed Putting in Work tees, hoodies, everything else You can take a gaze at those over at designbyhumans.com slash shop slash putting in work And that's particularly relevant this week with our guest... Who I'll get to in a second, just after I shout out the review of the week on iTunes, which goes to a user called a random internet boy45 from USA. He says, Jonah, is a thoughtful and caring individual who really cares and is interested in his interviewee. I'm always delighted to listen to his show, and I can't wait for more episodes, and I can't wait to give them to you, whoever you are. And yes, I am interested in my interviewees, that's why they're on my show. And this week, my guest, Sandy Dover. I've been following on Twitter for ooh three or four years through a random hookup we'll explain in the episode but we crossed paths and we've been following each other ever since but it's kind of hard to describe Sandy because he does so many different things it's probably easiest to say that he's been an NBA writer for Yahoo he's worked with ESPN he's been a columnist for Slam magazine which was a huge part of my childhood but it's not just sports writing he's a media producer PR liaison He's an editorial photographer, a digital strategist, and he also covers sportswear, fashion, lifestyle, music, and other sports besides basketball. One of the things that I found really interesting about Sandy's experience, though, is that it's been almost completely a freelance career, which as a former journalist, I was very interested in how that works, and particularly working with such big names as ESPN and Slam, for example, and what it's like to be a part of such a massive machine in sports news and entertainment. So without further ado, and my dad pointed out recently that I've been saying further adieu, so apologies to all the French speakers out there, but without further ado, here is Sandy Dover. Enjoy the show. Do you remember our first contact on Twitter, Sandy?
0: I do. Um, we have a colleague, I think, in common, Steve Smith. And um, right. Steve, I worked with uh, going on eight years ago when we were doing um, Buckets Magazine, Uh, which was started from a dude um, down in Australia. And he collected all these creatives from across the world, as it turned out. And luckily, I was able to kind of come into contact with Steve. and Via Steve and our banter via Twitter and elsewhere, um, Mm. you popped up. And I was like, this dude, he looks like a chill bro. (laughs) And um, so, you know, that's where I really got my, uh, uh, or the genesis of our Twitter relationship started. So yeah, that's what I remember.
1: I think I have something even more specific than that. It was okay. um, I was looking for a pair of shoes. Okay. <laughs> there was this photo shoot with Joaquim Noah in GQ or something, and I loved these shoes that he had on. And I was like, well, where can I find these shoes? And it must have been Steve that said, ask Sandy. He he knows his kicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, they were they seem to have been like a one off special pair of shoes that have never become publicly available. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Joachim at the time was playing with a pair of shoes that, uh, I believe were made in France.
1: Le, le, le coq, um, was it? Yeah. Mm. Le,
0: le, le cul des sportifs. I think that's yeah. what it's called. Okay. And, um, that's his, uh, his father's brand, Yannick Noah. And again, that Steve Smith connection. We were both doing a magazine about sneakers. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> the cosmic, uh, relationship.
1: So you've obviously worked in, uh, a lot of different things if you're if you're working in a magazine in Australia that doesn't exist anymore. Even just knowing <laughs> that it's like, okay, this guy, he gets around a little bit. Tell me what you do at the moment and then we'll backtrack okay. into how you got there.
0: Sure. Well, I tend to I get this question a lot from people, um, in real life and they're usually a little bit little bit confused just because it's a lot. But essentially I'm a media producer, feature writer, digital strategist and uh, editorial photographer. All those things I kind of wrap up in media production. So I'm a media producer. Sure,
1: sure. sure. I mean, that's a lot of things. Did you start out wanting to be kind of a jack-of-all-trades, or is it just an evolution of trying to always have something to work on that got you there?
0: I think it's a little bit of both. Um, A role model of mine is Leonardo da Vinci, and I always admired the fact that he was proficient so many different kinds of disciplines that were, that were related, but they were each in their sec- own sector. And so he was an inspiration for me for a very young age. So I would say I have a lot of gifts. I've been really blessed that I have a lot of gifts. I know that I'm a little bit unusual in that way, but then part of it was as my career in the media industry has gone on and I've been in media for 15 years and 10 full time. um, as it's changed, and in order to kind of keep up with the people that I need to keep up with, I've had to gain new skills. I would say that when I first started, my first five years, I was exclusively a writer. Feature writer. Writing has always been my thing. Um, it's how I really got into the business of communication. And it's always been a creative outlet and a creative gift for me. But I had all these other things going on and. And I wanted to make myself a little bit more valuable to the people that I'd be working with or potentially be working with. So getting into photography, getting into producing different kinds of media, stepping away from writing and being able to actually learn how to make something that's not necessarily something that you're composing via words, but composing via consultation, being able to direct somebody into doing, composing something or or shooting something those sorts of things kind of mm. came out of my own natural abilities and i've just i've been fortunate enough to make that a part of my i guess career s- skill set but that's where that all yeah. comes from
1: that's really cool it's actually somewhat similar to my background you know i started out writing and got more into video and social media managing and that kind of thing but the way that you've yeah. um, branded yourself is probably <laughs> a bit more flashy <laughs> <laughs>
0: well to, to me branding your branding yourself is believing in yourself yeah i think um as we see now you have all kinds of people have with all these sort of boutique brands and i understand the purpose of having a brand for yourself because you want to make yourself valuable to your partners and to your employers the thing about it is i think with branding Some people are branding themselves before they've actually done anything worthwhile. Yeah. You have to have a good skill. You have to have the skills first in order to actually brand a skill. If you don't have the work to back it up, your branding means nothing. So for me, I know that I put the work in. I know what gifts God has given me. So personally, I'm me branding myself as me believing in myself.
1: That's awesome. So let's, uh, let's backtrack now and explain maybe what got you set off on the path towards. All the things you're doing whether it was passion you had in high school studying like what was it that put you on the path towards media producer or whatever it is
0: yeah well i think as far as getting into the industry of communicating well it's it's sort of a, a lore in my family i started reading and writing at age two my mother was breastfeeding me and as she'd be reading the paper i'd be reading the paper along with her even though i wasn't necessarily speaking and so having all throughout my childhood and adolescence been praised and gotten awards for my writing and being able to, you know, be an orator of sorts. Um, that kind of led me to doing uh communication and and being trained as a, as a, as an actual journalist that moved me in that direction. The other part of it too, is that I come from a very artsy family. So my, my mother's side of my family are traditionally fine artists and professional musicians. And that's something that comes as naturally for us and myself, as maybe drinking water. So going in those directions, having that artistic background, having uh, a a language arts background, again, that was something that was God given for me. And so I just kind of um, went along with what strong points I had. And that's kind of gotten me to where I've gone today. I I really can't explain any more than that. It's just always kind of been around me. It's been in me.
1: And what were the steps that you had to take in terms of You had the skill, but then you had to make a career out of it. So how did you go about that?
0: Well, see, I graduated from college, the Ohio State University, in late uh, 2006. And that wasn't long before the economy collapsed in America. It effectively shifted the world markets as well. And so when that happened, as you well know, the media industry really, really, really tightened it up it crashed yeah. yeah it tightened up and so i had no choice but to kind of make a way for myself and i didn't know how i was going to do it at first um i spent the first mm, 7 years as a freelancer for yahoo but those first 2 years out of high school around that the, the genesis of me really starting my career full time i was a manuscript writer i was writing books i was writing two or three books, I believe at the time and going unagented. And, um, after two years of not getting any responses or I should say neg or not getting any positive responses, getting no's and no's and no's. I decided to shift more toward, uh, being a columnist. And again, that's where that Yahoo period where I was able to freelance with them. And actually right before that Google news, um, as they had it, um, I was able to actually kind of cultivate a portfolio, cultivate a voice, and kind of figure out exactly where I wanted to go with this thing. So I was learning as I was, as I was doing it, but essentially I spent my first, t- my, my, well, really first eight or nine years as an entrepreneur and not knowing it. Um, a lot of people in our industry, um, we're not business minded all the time. We were thinking of, okay, we've got to freelance. We've got to figure out how we're going to get somebody to value our work. But a a big part of that is lear- learning how to market yourself, learning how to market your skills, learning how to market your portfolio. So I, I'd i say my first mm, three years was me just developing a portfolio that would be worthy enough of people wanting to do business with me. And that kind of set me off on the path of really kind of making the connections that I made as far as in in, in media, particularly as a writer. That's
1: cool. You mentioned Yahoo as kind of like the beginning, but even that in itself sounds like a big deal. How did you get to that point? Were were they accepting just submissions from anyone or did you actually land a position with them freelancing? Well,
0: I didn't have a a staff position. What happened was they had a contributor program. So you could actually go through Yahoo's contributor program, then submit uh, pieces for publication. So they had their own separate editorial board and that way, I was able to have brand recognition associated with my work. Mm. It was a beautiful thing because I was able to use that platform to market myself. You know, I'd come from um, working with a, one of the largest media companies here in America, Cox Media, and um, working with The Ohio State University and their, uh, their media program, their newspaper program, which at the time was not particularly a big name. It is today. But I needed more, um, I needed more bright lights, big city attached to my name. And so Yahoo gave me the opportunity to do big name work and do it on my terms. It was still very difficult because they weren't paying much. <laughs> big surprise. Yeah.
1: And what kind of content was that?
0: I started out basically as an NBA writer and I've always loved the NBA. It was NBA. It was music, covering music and doing music reviews. It was watching and uh, following the fashion industry. So really, between hoops, lifestyle, product, and music, that's really where my core uh, concentrations were. They still are today. It's just yeah. it's a little bit more ethereal today, but uh, that's really how I started out and where I started out because those are the things I knew.
1: Mm. And speaking of Bright Lights, Big City, how did you end up at Slam? Because that's probably... I don't know if you'd still say to this day, but it's probably the one that stands out the most to me in terms of the publications you've been associated with. Just because Slam has such a huge status in the world of, of NBA, it's changed so much now with, I guess, uh, online media, but growing up, Slam Magazine was like the thing to get.
0: Yeah. You know, Slam was a big part of my childhood. Um, I got into basketball in 1994. I was 10 years old, and I'd always dreamed of being in that magazine. And what happened was, is that 2009, I was two years out of, of college and on my own and really still trying to make a name for myself. I was at the time still freelancing for, for Yahoo as a contributor. So I watched the 2009 NBA playoffs where Derrick Rose and Rajon Rondo battled it out. I think it was like the first mm-hmm. round. I think they went to like five or seven games. I forget how long it was at the time before they changed.
1: Seven. It. I think it was seven. Seven. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I watched that series and I saw someone who was eventually my colleague at a couple of other other media franchises. His name is Vince Thomas, and I saw Vince Thomas in a newsroom at Slam Magazine, and he was on Sports Center, and I thought to myself, and not in a condescending way or a patronizing way. I, I said, if he can do that. If he can be a slam magazine, I can be a slam magazine because I know I just knew I knew I knew what kind of quality content. I knew what kind of um, knowledge I would be bringing. And so yeah. as it happened, I started writing and submitting and uh, their online editor who's still there to this day, Ryan Nelson. He said no five, four times to me. So four times I got my stuff rejected or said, you know, it needed to it needed to have more work done. The fifth time I actually got something through. And after a few times, him and uh, Ed in chief at the time, Ben Osborne, they awarded me my own column called the S- the Sandova Speakeasy.
1: Yeah. It
0: was my own online column. Wow. It was a beautiful thing. I- I've had my differences with leadership at Slam over the years, but I can say without a doubt, they were crucial in helping me get to a place where I could have an audience that was not only national, but international. That's how it started. It kind of. Matriculated into um, basically a lot of digital content, a lot of high-profile digital content with interviews and features and things of that nature. And then I was starting to actually enter to the to the kicks feature, so the print magazines and uh, some of the print slam magazines. So that's where really that happened. I just I just wouldn't take no for an answer.
1: Mm. That's cool, man. It sounds like there's a lot of rejection and uh, hurdles like that you have to overcome to push through those. Those areas that have brought you something in return, so you must be pretty pleased with your efforts there and, and what you've reaped from that.
0: I don't know if I'm pleased. I, and I say that only because I expected of myself. Yeah. Um, in this industry, particularly, it's a talent evaluation industry. It's like the music industry, and again, because of my close ties to the music industry. I know the ins and outs. They're very much about talent and about who, you know, and not always really what you know, but who, you know. And when you're not in the the right kind of gang, knows are prevalent because you're not one of the establishment's tribe. And for me, I've always kind of been an outsider, not necessarily on purpose, but just because I've, I've always kind of been a little bit different. And I think sometimes, and this is where my faith comes in. I think sometimes you're set apart. Um, so that God can really, really stay close to you when you're going through times of difficulty. For me, I know, I, I know, and I knew back then I was worthy. And so nose for me, I wouldn't say they drove me, but they did allow me to see that things weren't going to come easy. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just have a sincere belief in myself, but the nose, they, they come and they go and they come a lot more than they go and they can be discouraging. So I don't know, I can't tell you any other way other than having faith in God yeah. and faith in myself that I was able to kind of persevere.
1: That's awesome. I mean, yeah. you, you clearly had a very clear view of what your purpose was and what you were here to do. So it's it's awesome to see that you've been able to find it the way you have.
0: Today I do. I, back yeah. then I was just trying <laughs> okay. to, try, just trying to get my money together, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. trying to get myself established. Yeah.
1: That's a good Thing to, to move on to like as a former full-time journalist that was in the I guess the corporate system I'd look at freelance as kind of something people did if they you know wanted to travel or if they didn't want to be pinned down to one place uh, or frankly as someone that wasn't good enough to get a job at a publication that they wanted to work so when you see someone's a freelance you kind of often will wonder if they're legit or if they've just kind of given themselves that title to appear to be more than they are, like you said about branding before, but it's become very clear that you're not one of those people and that you've actually turned it into a full-time gig. I mean, is there a stigma attached to freelancing? And secondly, how do you get by without the certainty that is the regular paycheck?
0: Well, I'll say this, um, you can call yourself anything you want. And people have a choice whether or not they want to believe it or not. The issue is, is that if you say that you're something, you have to have something to back it up. So for me, whatever titles that I or roles that I've had, I have the actual experience to back it up and I have people that have the receipts. (laughs) They were there. And so if you don't have the receipts, you can say you, you can say you're king of Mars. But you've never if you've never been to Mars that's click is quickly going to show that you're not who you say you are. You know what I mean? And I would, I don't know how it is in Australia, but I know in America freelance doesn't necessarily have the same. It doesn't necessarily have a, a negative connotation. I would say that for me, I never really looked at it as freelancing so much. I looked at it as me using it as an inroads to kind of get something that was a little bit more secure. Everybody wants to be secure. But again, if you're in an industry where factions are prevalent, Sometimes you just don't have that that luxury. It is a luxury, security. Mm. And so what I've what I've really been able to see is that I'm a businessman, Jay Z, who is uh, one of my idols of my childhood and adolescence. He said, you know, I'm not a business. What is it? He says, uh, I'm not a uh,
1: businessman. I'm a businessman. A
0: businessman. Yeah. yeah. And so really, honestly, freelancing, depending on how you look at it, you're first of all you're contracting. It's independent contracting. For me, I, I had to become an entrepreneur and actually in order to make a living. It wasn't that I wanted to set out to be an entrepreneur because I knew, I knew just from that kind of line of work that it was going to be difficult. The problem is, is that if I was going to be in this media industry and, and someone wasn't going to give me what I felt that I earned, then I just had to kind of hustle for that. Hmm. Um, it's been difficult. I I don't necessarily love independent contracting and I haven't always done it. You know, I've been in certain situations where I've been able to actually have, um, you know, secure actual roles within places like ESPN or Complex um, and Turner actually in Bleacher Report for for a little time as a consultant. Um, but all those other little roads and avenues that I've been through where it was not guaranteed that you'd have work that was uh that would be uh paid for and that you would be you'd actually be able to live off of oh no that's horrible i i I don't think this is this having that life you really really have to love what you're doing and really believe in yourself in order to to do it that way if i had known going in that it was going to be as hard as as it has been Mm -hmm. i don't think i would do it you know and um Writing, as we see, the, the artisans of today are, again, not being valued. It's the, when you see civilizations that, that, that are made and, and, and they crumble, what comes and goes first is, are things that signify culture. And what signifies culture are the arts. And so when you destroy the creators, you destroy creations. And you see that in our world today. So it's really important that people economically value creators and, and artisans of our time today because that's what civilizations built on. It's built on culture.
1: Mm. That's interesting. I mean, you mentioned before how similar to music, the talent will stand out, but you also have to know people to get in there. Because there obviously are so many talented people and a limited amount of places that are willing to pay those people, how do you stand out amongst that group?
0: Perseverance. One, you have to always be pushing. You have to always keep your name out. And it means, in some ways, it means being visible on social, the branding aspect. The other part of it is actually having work behind your name that people can look you up mm. for. Again, I, I said earlier, if you don't have anything behind your name when you say that you are a certain title or you have a um a certain kind of role, then you'll be found out quickly. However... If you have work behind it and you, and you're actually able to, to put yourself out in such a way that, that people remember who you are because you haven't quit at all. You haven't taken any lapses. Then it's much easier to find yourself in, in, in situations and in contexts where the gatekeepers will find you. I've had that happen to me throughout all this time, even in situations that did not last long. I had people checking for me in high places and it was solely because the work that I had was first of all, visible. Secondly, people knew me. And thirdly, I was really, really faithful about the fact that if I were to continue on in it, I would actually be found by the right people. And I do believe that it only takes one.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to see how one thing can have a flow on effect to the next. And it just eventually builds up to to create a portfolio that you can stand by. It's really cool. For sure. What would you say has been the hardest part of the journey that you've been on as a freelancer and or an independent contractor, as you put it, and, and just, I guess, the the grind that you've had to experience to, to get to where you are now?
0: Well, I would say even beyond being an independent contractor as an entrepreneur, I would just say you don't have many friends in the industry, in media. At least I can say here in America. It's so competitive. And there are a lot of people in a lot of different places that are that are always looking to vouch for number one. So it's a cutthroat industry mm. too. you have people that that are in clicks and you have people who are rewarding people in certain situations. Maybe that if, if their work were only what stood out, maybe wouldn't get that. And honestly, I would just say there's a lot of glitz and glam associated with being in media. It doesn't matter it really particular um, as a writer and as As somebody that might be in front of a camera, which I'm not yet, but there's a lot of glitz and glam associated with that. But it's an awful lot of time to be spending working on things that you may not get the immediate payoff right away. And so you have to kind of be able to be steadfast Mm. and, and strong enough to be able to put in the work without necessarily getting the proper recompense early on. It's it's this industry is not something um, whether or not you're salaried or whatever sort of situation that you have, and I've been on both sides of that. Again, I'm I've been both independent contractor and, you know, salaried, you know, talent. That doesn't really so much I mean it matters a great deal, but it doesn't matter so much in the sense of how difficult the industry is because no matter if, if your if your situation's settled, there's always an opportunity for you to kind of get axed. That's just the way it is. We see that the industry is very fragile. There's uh, Mm. the economics of the situation. The fact that, you know, hey, if we're looking for clicks and we're looking for advertisement economic opportunities, then at some point it doesn't always matter how good you are. It matters according to what people are most uh, sensationalized by. So it, it then becomes a matter of, well, does sensationalism drive our business Or does the work, does really good, strong work drive business? And I think what's happening is that we've seen that sensationalism at some point loses the battle because then when you build an infrastructure where you're only rewarding people who don't necessarily have the greatest gifts of being able to actually tell stories, which is what media is all about, is about communicating stories and information. If you have people on your team that aren't, Necessarily doing anything of, um, of substance that quickly dies out. We've seen it with Mashable. Mashable at one time was the top tech, uh, news outlet in the world. And it was worth several millions of, do- several hundreds of millions of dollars. And it just recently got sold for 50 million. A, a vast appreciation in what its first or what its earlier valuations were. And it was because they chose to go after sensationalism and, and not really stick to their guns as far as being, a, a, I would say, a, a reputable tech outlet. And I, not to say that they still aren't, but by them branching out to sensational posts and clickbait that's not going to get you too far. It's like candy, man. It's like it, it satisfies now, but man, that sugar's going to kill you.
1: Yeah, it, uh, that whole topic reminds me of the demise of Grantland and they didn't go into the clickbait, but I guess that ESPN looked at them as something that maybe short-term wasn't doing what they wanted immediately in, in that those long-form articles and that depth and analysis.
0: I, I, I'll say this because I actually have... Um, I was a part of an entity that was that was actually created by some of the ESPN execs that were involved at Grantland. And um, I'll say this about Grantland. The problem with Grantland was that Bill Simmons and the ESPN, just didn't, they didn't get along yeah. at that point. You know what I mean? Um, when you have a guy who has a very specific kind of style, you have to make sure that style is monetizable on every level. And when you're spending hundreds of millions on TV rights for football and basketball and you're spending another sector of the money and hundreds of millions to, to on air talent. And then you're paying a guy who is your on air talent to be, your other uh, your other driving force in digital. Well, you better make sure that your digital content is worth all that payout, you know, and it wasn't sustainable because Bill Simmons has a very particular kind of delivery. And um, as a Bill, as a former Bill Simmons fan, I love this stuff, but he, you know, he just wasn't charismatic in front of the camera. And so, you know, when you start to put hundreds of millions of dollars into that, well, it's, it's, you either get some, some feedback that's going to be, you know, it's going to be lucrative or if it's not lucrative, we're going to have to shut the operation down. I think that's really what happened with Grantland. It was, it was very ambitious. It just did not have the kind of economic feedback that ESPN was investing in. Um, for
1: sure that's interesting so sandy this is the part where i ask for your advice to people whether they want to freelance whether they want to work in sports or fashion or music whatever it is what's your advice to people that want to do the things that you've been fortunate to do
0: i think generally i'll go in two areas generally if you have something that you feel like you have to get out in your heart when you if you have something in you pursue it pursue it with as much confidence as you possibly can. Make sure, um, if, again, if you have, um, a support system, make sure that the people that support you are near because when times get tough and they will get tough, um, if you have the right kind of people to encourage you and remind you of the, of the reasons why you got into doing whatever it is that you're doing, you're going to be able to outlast a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say more specifically when you go into media, Media is a hard, hard business. You don't know necessarily that you're going to make it or not. And um, as I've said to people before, I try to be Bob Dylan about, about my life. You never want to come to a place where you've arrived. You're always becoming. And so I would say that in media, um, specifically, you're always becoming, whether or not that's as a writer, as a producer, um, if you're working, writing scripts um, for, for video, if you're a photographer, if you're doing any of that stuff, you're always becoming. And uh, again, don't take things for granted. Things can be here one day and go the next day. So just really have a great support system and understand that the media industry in and of itself is not, it's not particularly luc- lucrative. So you have to have an intense belief in yourself hmm. and um, be kind to yourself. And make sure that you're dealing with people with integrity because there's plenty of people in this industry who are not dealing in integrity. It doesn't matter what status you are as far as whether or not you're salaried or freelance or whatever. If you're not dealing with integrity and you don't put any work behind your name, you're going to fail immediately because you have to have work ethic and you have to have something to show for yourself.
1: It's good, man. It's awesome. Yeah. So, the last question for you, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do?
0: I don't think I'm going to fail, at least not in the ultimate sense. Um, You know, my dream still is to be a premiere feature writer. Um, And by premiere, I mean not just working with ESPN for a season or two, but really, really being, you know, on the masthead. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'd love to actually be a voice actor. I would love to do um, more video hosting. Um, an inspiration of mine is, is Rich Mays Lopez from Complex. Um, he's, to me, is he's an innovator when it comes to that. But I very much intend to do those things. I very much intend to be in front of the camera. I very much intend to be a premier masthead feature writer for a publication and, and a master photographer as well. All those things I'm actually right now doing, but I just want to do it on a grander Mm. scale. Uh, I would love to be a creative director for product brands and for other editorial outlets and, and to be honestly an inspirational speaker, um, to be able to have a sort of platform to where I can not only direct and create, but to be able to encourage and to motivate other people, specifically my peers and young children who are looking four way in this world so i don't believe i'll fail in those in those things necessarily so that's where i'm going toward
1: that's awesome man well i think uh what you've said today has been pretty inspirational so maybe this is the start of of that (laughs) line of thinking i appreciate that man cool thanks for hanging out
0: hey man i appreciate you jonah i appreciate you just giving me the opportunity to talk about um my life and be able to kind of give some wisdom out
1: Thank you for listening. That was Sandy Dover. You can check him out on Twitter at Sandy underscore Dover. Hit him up on Facebook.com slash Sandy Dover. Hit me with your questions for the episode 50 mailbag at hashtag 50PIW. You can catch me on Twitter at Johnny himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.